Beyond the Ball, fueling your faith and family through sport. Welcome to the Beyond the Ball podcast with Coach Eric Klump and Coach Justin Gersten. All right, everyone. Welcome to Beyond the Ball with Coach Eric Klump, and I am Coach Justin Gersten. Coach Klump, how are you tonight? Very well. Thanks for having it. You're hosting another show, my man. This is I'm ready to go. Absolutely. Just keep stacking these shows up and people are starting to listen, which we truly appreciate. So shout out to all the people Thank out there you to that the are listeners out there. downloading for sure. Um, celebrations tonight to get us started. What do you got for this week? Well, actually, I've got two, Coach. And one, sure. I promised my nephew, Colin, that I would, <laughs> yes. I would say this on the pod today. But today... He rode his bicycle without the training wheels. So, oh, shout out Colin. to my little nephew, Colin, for that. That's my celebration. I told him nice. I promised him Uncle nice. E's going to come through on that one. <laughs> um, and then my other celebration, and and I know we've spoke about this um, just, you know, face-to-face, but if you go on social media now, a lot, a lot of negative noise is just all over the place. So, I want to just celebrate those that are still using social media to serve others and promote ideas and promote critical thinking rather than just flooding it with that negative noise. And then those that are out there just helping others through their wisdom or through their past experiences, man, keep it up. I celebrate you. Keep putting that positivity out there for people to see because everybody needs it right now. What do you got, Coach? Oh, well, first, I'm going to comment on your celebrations. First of all, your nephews – and niece are some of the coolest kids I know. So I'm Thank you, pumped. Coach. I'll relay that to them. I am so pumped that uh, the training wheels are gone. My, I remember when my kids took their training wheels off, it was like the most eye-opening experience for them, and that's so cool. Um, and in terms of social media, I think that you're spot on celebrating the people that are positive. You know, we have a variety of platforms that coaches and players can use to get themselves better. And I'm, you know, you can call me old because I kind of am. Uh, get off my lawn <laughs> type of guy. But I, I'm i not get huge. Get off my lawn. <laughs> I'm not into a lot of the platforms, right? I'm into Twitter. Uh, my wife joined Facebook late. I'm, I'm only on Facebook um, only for usually just coaching resources. I actually have a lot of family that friend requests me and I don't uh, accept them because I don't want my timeline flooded with all that personal stuff. I just want it as a coaching resource, but yeah. I think you're right. I think, you know, it. well, I often was criticized by my wife for saying, well, you don't have Facebook, but you have Twitter. And the big thing about it for me was always, I'm doing this as a news outlet. Like I yeah. want information. I, I just want to try and have access to new ideas. But you're right. But recently, within the last two or three years, it's just become... Uh, a mess of just people complaining and um, not willing to listen to other people's thoughts and ideas right. in a constructive manner. And so for all the people that are putting that out there in a positive way, that's that's definitely worth celebrating. Um, my celebration, since you took two, um, I'm going to take two. Go ahead. Um, I'm going to celebrate uh, the Portland Trailblazers. Uh, we've had a long layoff of basketball and while this episode might come out late and they might be out of the playoffs and potentially the play who knows could be over you don't know and so i'm gonna maybe give dame lillard because we are taping this on august 16th and he is just he just went to work oh my goodness he's had three or four of the most incredible games that i've seen in a while and i've always liked dame dalla but for sure these last Four games this last week has been just absolutely outstanding to watch him ball out. So celebrating him. And mm. then on a personal level, uh, I just got a text from one of my former players who's a teacher, also a coach, and going back to do his administrative degree. I figured I connected tonight because the coach we have joining us is also a former teacher, coach, and now an administrator. Um, he just got approved to be the athletic director at his school uh greg parzak one of my former oh players. yeah so, greg celebration a, yeah celebration for him you know newly married just has a a new one-year-old baby that uh him and his wife briar enjoying emerson she's adorable um but just keep plugging along and, and taking steps in his career so 
I'm going to celebrate him. He doesn't even know I'm doing it. I've been texting him all day, though, but that's a really cool experience for but him. But another young man that has set goals in front of himself, worked extremely hard. You know, I see him posting stuff, his lessons, um, his creativity in the classroom, online, through Twitter. Um, so it's no surprise to me. Yeah, just uh, just a, an amazing young man. I'm lucky to call him a friend after being his coach back in the day over 10 years ago now, I guess. It's been a while, but uh, just an amazing kid, um, raising an amazing family. So shout out to Greg. All right. Coach, what do we got for our verse for tonight? Okay. So um, what was on my heart was Philippians 3, 13 and 14. It says, I focus on this one thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. And when I read that, I was just thinking about how important it is to consistently move forward. And I know we use that phrase a lot with our players, like play, play present, next play. So, I, I, you know, I was really digesting that as the same thing and that same mentality and, and, and creating that, you know, ever longing relationship and our personal relationship with God and just being persistent with the gifts that he's given us. And just know that sometimes these experiences are going to be good and sometimes they're going to be bad. And through both of them, we just got to grow closer to him and use our blessings as a way to grow closer to people and have just a grow closer in that relationship with him in the end. Yeah, I love that verse. You've actually turned me on to a couple different um, spiritual resources, Elevation Church being one, yeah, um, and Athens Church being another with uh, Pastor Andy Stanley. And he talks about that all the time about as you get a little bit older, sometimes the mystical part of religion um, is hard for some people to believe in, you know, kind of maybe like the Easter Bunny or the Tooth hmm. Fairy or things of that nature, you know, but the idea is that the, those mystical God type person is not necessarily the the reality. It's you know, that God never said that life was going to be easy. God never said that you're going to get everything you want when mm -hmm. you want it. And I think that that's a, an important message that you just got to keep plugging right. through. When good things happen, you know, appreciate it. Um, count your blessings. When bad things happen, uh, try to find your blessings even still because my guess is you still probably have it better than somebody else. And so, yeah, he just said that verse. we were going to be, he's going to be there right next to us by our side. So let, let's not be shaken by it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that might help with a lot of this anxiety too, as we're taping this, you know, here in New York, we're starting to get ready to go back yep. to school. We know some other States have already started back in some capacity. And so a lot of anxiety. And so these parent meetings and faculty meetings that we've been having, um, and I just think a lot of it's going to work itself out. We might not like the way that it goes the entire time, but um, it's definitely going to work itself out. So, Coach, what do we have in store today? Who we got coming on? Oh, today, Coach, we have Coach John DeMarco, who is a former high school teacher, uh, basketball coach, and is now currently, I believe, an administrator. We're going to let him get into his story and his journey a little bit more to fill in some details. Um, but like we had just talked about using social media as a platform mm -hmm. for positive engagement, um, Coach does a great job on Twitter and a couple other platforms of sharing the game of basketball, uh, the X's and O's, the culture piece. Um, and I've been turned on to him through just some other follows that I have on Twitter. Uh, and he's helped me tremendously. And so we figured we'd get him on the podcast and see what types of ideas he has to share with the rest of us. Yeah, you never know who you're connecting with. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So we're going to break here for a second. And when we come back, we'll have Coach DeMarco. Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Ball with Justin Gerstung and Eric Klump on the Hoopheads Pod Network. Our roster of shows includes Thrive with Trevor Huffman, the CoachMaze.com podcast, Players Court with Joseph Harris, and our latest release, Bleachers and Boards. If you're an NBA fan, be sure to catch one of our new team-focused shows, Cavalier Central with Justin Matcham, Nuck If You Buck with Devin Zanskis, and Grizz and Grind with Elijah Campbell. We'll be adding more NBA markets in the weeks and months ahead, so keep up with our latest updates on Twitter, at Pod. 
I'd love for you to check out our flagship, the Hoop Heads Podcast, hosted by me, Mike Cleansing, and my co-host, Jason Sunkel. The go-to podcast for basketball coaches at any level. Now let's get back to Justin and Eric. All right, guys, welcome back to Beyond the Ball. We're joined tonight with uh, a special guest, uh, Coach John DeMarco. Uh, Coach John, how you doing? I'm doing very, very well. Uh, I'm looking forward to uh, talking hoops with you and going uh, even beyond the ball, as the podcast suggests, and uh, looking forward to it. Awesome, Coach. Thanks for coming on. Um, You know, we were talking in the intro about um, the importance of social media nowadays and how a lot of it is negative noise, but we came across you in a very positive way and using your social media avenue to promote the game of basketball or to promote coaches. Can you just share um, your hashtag and what you're trying to do um, with your platform on, on social media or Twitter? Yeah. So, you know, I, I think social media obviously can be a great platform uh, for coaches to really share and grow the game. So a couple of years ago, I started with the mantra to get better every day. Uh, and that was kind of, you know, my mantra as a coach as well. Um, and that's kind of evolved and morphed into get better basketball and some of the other stuff I'm doing with social media. But uh, one of the first things I did was the um, get better basketball chat or uh, the hashtag, which is GBETBBChat. And that has been a great form for coaches and a really nice opportunity to, you know, keep it positive and let coaches really help and support one another. There's a lot of questions that we have. And, you know, there's a lot of things out there and a lot of places you can go to get information. But I think what's unique about the chat is the opportunity for coaches in real time to kind of go back and forth with each other. So, you know, I think that's been great. And then I've really tried to expand now this last year and I do a uh, get better basketball live where similar to a podcast, but a video cast where I interview uh, coaches and try to, um, you know, talk about different aspects of the game. And um, I just started sharing out a newsletter too. So just different things, but social media has been a great form for me. I've learned from great coaches and um, I hope that, you know, I can share with coaches and they take something away from what, what I share and what other coaches share in the chat as well. Yeah, coach. I mean, the reason that we're having you on tonight is because I came across um, one of your Wednesday night chats, which I just love. I mean, I don't get to them every Wednesday with four kids of my own here at the house, but (laughs) anytime I can log on and get in there and hear ideas from coaches around, around the country, around the globe of just what they think on different areas of the game. It's so, so great. Maybe one area that I was going to ask you about, and we'll get into your journey a little bit more as an administrator, is what are your feelings towards social media with your athletes and with your with your students? Um, is there a philosophy that you had as a coach or that you have as a coach on social media? Yeah, so I mean, I... I think social media can be a positive, um, you know, regardless of of how you're using it. But obviously, um, it's something now, especially with this generation, um, you know, I don't envy the position that uh, players and and younger kids are in now because, you know, social media has become such a big part of their life. And there's a lot that goes to that. We really have to teach kids how to use social media appropriately and effectively and I think we try to do that in schools. I try to do that as an administrator, but, you know, also with, with sports teams too, I think it's a great way to post highlight films and, you know, connect with coaches and put stuff out there. But obviously it's teaching kids that, you know, there's a timestamp on everything that you say and everything you put up on social media. And, you know, that's going to stay with you for a long time. And, you know, I, there's a lot of adults that have a tough time, uh, you know, really recognizing that and put stuff out they probably shouldn't. So, you know, we're trying to teach kids to, you know, really uh, self-monitor what they're doing with social media. So it, it can be a great thing for players now. I think there's a lot of places and people they can connect with. And there's a lot of recruiting services and people that are doing, uh, you know, things for free, you know, through Twitter and allowing kids to post up highlight films. So, it can be a really, really great resource, but you know the challenge is like anything else. It's teaching kids how to do that appropriately and how to do that effectively. Um, you know, and I hope that 
I kind of model that as a coach on social media. And what I try to post is very, very positive and try not to bring anybody down in that process. And, you know, I, I hope that kids, uh, players that follow me see that. And, you know, I think there's a lot of positives out there. So hopefully the players are, uh, and, and, you know, even non-athletes are learning to use it appropriately. Yeah, yeah. Just being a model for what you would hope that a lot of your young athletes would would use their social media platform. With you in being an administrator, um, with that, in your opinion, do you think that it should be educated in our schools? Like, should every class or should they all be taking a class on how to appropriately use um, social media? And if so, at what age do you think they should be? You know, what I'm seeing, you know, I was in high school for a lot of years and now I work in a middle school and really fifth grade and and more so sixth grade, but fifth grade, it kind of starts with kids getting cell phones. And then, you know, sixth grade is when it takes on a kind of a life of its own. And, you know, kids are using TikTok and using other, um, you know, apps, you know, uh, Snapchat and things like that. So I do think uh, it is part of what we need to teach kids to be, you know, we talk about in schools, you know, teaching students to be responsible citizens. And I think that's a big part of that is how you use social media. I think that's become, you know, kind of taken on a life of its own right now. So I do think that, you know, people are starting to do that in schools. I know at the high school level, when I worked in schools, you know, kids had Twitter accounts and they would do Twitter chats, uh, even similar to what I do with the Get Better Basketball chat. And you know, classes would use social media for that, you know, um, for that reason. So there's ways that you can teach kids. But I I think a big part of that is really self-monitoring. It's, you know, not just social media, but it's really the use of technology in general. I I, I think a lot of kids overuse it. And it's really trying to teach them to, you know, find the right amount of time, find a good balance and, you know, I, I guess you could talk about that, you know, even beyond technology with other elements of, of life as well. But, um, you know, I, I do think we should be showing kids, modeling to kids what it looks like to use it effectively in schools and also continuing to have conversations about it. I mean, I couldn't tell you how many conversations I have as an administrator in a middle school and even more when I was an administrator in a high school uh, with kids about what they should and should not put on. Uh, social media. And I'm sure you guys deal with that as well as coaches. Yeah. I mean, as a father of a this year, freshman and seventh grader, I have some younger ones as well. My, we just actually, my wife and I both being teachers are sticklers about cell phones. And we finally caved and got my freshman daughter a phone, uh, which was like earth shattering for her because she has been like the only student in her school without it. Um, But all of her friends now have obviously caught her up. It didn't take her long to figure out (laughs) the social media part, but it's pretty interesting. You know, Coach Klump, I appreciate you asking that about what age you start having these conversations. Because I feel like my wife and I are pretty diligent about, you know, having those conversations with my freshman daughter. And even still, she's pretty naive. And some of the things that come across her phone um, from her friends, I feel like some parents maybe aren't having those conversations. And so, um, like you said, Coach, I just think, you know, having those sincere one-on-ones about how much of an impact, lasting impact that's going to have. People are going to look that stuff up from now until, you know, they're, they probably yeah. get jobs. College or, or administration jobs. School. Yeah, for sure. So uh, definitely, definitely kind of freaks me out. So coach, my question then, you such great insight as an administrator. Um, how did you, how did you end up there? Cause I know you did a little coaching too. Can you give us a little bit of background on your journey? Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I played sports obviously my whole life. I played college football uh, for four years and then, when I finished uh, playing college football, I got into teaching and got asked to be an assistant football coach and a JV boys basketball coach. And, um, you know, I coached junior varsity sports for uh, a few years before transitioning to become a head basketball coach, actually shipped it over to girls basketball and became a head girls basketball coach for about five years um, and also worked as an offensive coordinator um, in, in football for a lot of years. So, 
um, at that time, kind of simultaneously, I was going back to school and getting degrees. I got my master's, I got my CAGS, and then I went back to Northeastern University and I got my doctorate. And I became an administrator my last year of coaching. Uh, that was also the year my son was born, uh, who's now uh, three, soon to be four years old. All right. Uh, and now I have three children. Um, that was quick. Three-year-old, a one-year-old, and a seven-month-old. So uh, congrats. We, uh, well, one, yes, I should say uh, a year and seven months. So the, the, the last two were about a year apart. So it definitely was uh, quick. And, uh, you know, I knew, obviously, we we're going to start a family, and I was being an administrator there's a lot of challenges that go with that and a lot of long hours and long days and something kind of had to give. So I decided to kind of transition over to uh, player development and training players and uh, mentoring and consulting coaches. And that's where I kind of got into social media and Twitter and the chat. So, um, you know, that all happened over the last few years. I definitely missed the team coaching. Um, you know, my last 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 year in football, last couple of years in football, we went to a uh, Super Bowl or a state championship here in Massachusetts and uh, had a deep tournament run in basketball my last year as a coach as well, went to a, a state semifinal. So I had a good run. I miss it. Um, I think I'll be coaching my kids, uh, you know, as they get a little bit bigger and that will get me back into it. Um, but I do love being able to stay connected with coaches. So that's another positive of uh, the social media. Wow, you got a lot going on, John. Jeez, your your story sounds a lot, a little like mine. Like I played college football, and then the game of basketball just intrigued me um, so much. So I got into that, and I, I help a little bit with with the JV football. But um, when when it comes to sports, um, was that a part of a real big part of your life growing up? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um... You know, I started uh, pretty young age. You know, my brother coached um, for a lot of years. He coached at the high school level and uh, the youth level. And, um, you know, he's probably now got 35 years of experience coaching. But he coached me as a kid. And I was very fortunate um, to have him coach me. And my dad also coached me as well. And, you wow. know, that's really where I developed a, a love. That was specific to basketball. And, um, you know, that's really where I, I developed a love of the game. And, you know, I was fortunate as I became a coach that my brother then became my assistant coach uh, and so fortunate to have him kind of, you know, go through the journey with me and coach with me. And now we do some coaching clinics online and stuff. And he's worked with me on that as well. So basketball and sports in general was important to my family. Um, all my siblings played sports. My parents, uh, my mom and my dad went to every single one of my college football games. And mm -hmm. I was very blessed. Um, that they were able to do that. And also, you know, my high school games as well. So definitely important um, part of what we, you know, we do as a family. And even to this day, we we all will go and, and, and watch, uh, you know, uh, one of my nieces or um, one of my uh, nephew's games, a tennis match or a basketball game. And uh, so I'd say as a family, we're very, very much into it. Coach, I mean, that sounds like every family. And as I, we, Coach Klump and I talked to more and more of these coaches um, on Beyond the Ball, we're finding that the coaches that we talk to have just this ingrained teacher slash coach mentality Absolutely. that runs throughout their family. I know Coach Klump has several teachers in his family, whether it be siblings or other adults. My family, you know, my siblings. Um, there's probably five or six of us that are all in education. I too coach with my brother a little bit. I'm his assistant once in a while. He's mine. And it's just crazy when you have a family atmosphere for like that or for coaching like that. It's just incredible to be able to share that with family. Yeah, it, it is. And, and, you know, our love for sports as a family is really, really nice. And no one else that's, that's in education, but uh, certainly, um, you know, my brother coaching, and I think he definitely would have been a great teacher. And uh, my dad, too, uh, he had a way about him with, um, you know, showing us, you know, the basics of sports at a young age and taking us through and, you know, taking us down the park and playing with us. And I was very, very lucky to have that relationship with both my parents. But obviously, my dad, we spent a lot of days at the batting cages or on the football field or you know, at, at the basketball court with him rebounding for me. So um, it, it, it's it's nice. It's nice to have that. And as I got older and I coached to have my parents at all my basketball games and even my other siblings, when 
you know, we'd get deep into the tournament and they'd be at the games yelling as loud as uh, any of the other fans. Right. So hmm. it's, it's kind of a cool thing. Absolutely. 100%. I um, heard you say you have three children now and you had to make that decision to transition, transition, maybe out of the coaching arena to, to take on an administrative job. What went into that decision? How did that conversation go? Yeah, that was, uh, you know, that was a tough decision for me. I, I initially tried to do both my first year and I was able to, and, you know, maybe I still could, but obviously with the kids, it adds another whole layer. As you guys know, um, it makes it that much tougher. So, you know, I, I, I went back to school and, I spent a lot of time getting my doctorate at Northeastern. I think that was a three or four year process. And I wanted to continue to, uh, you know, you know, grow as a, as a person and, and really think about my family in the long run. And um, I knew that there was a lot of doors that were going to open. And, you know, being an administrator, I'm, I, I love doing it as an assistant principal. I still get to work so closely with uh, the students, but also mentor teachers through our, you know, evaluation system. And that's been really nice. And, I think as I was making that decision, to be honest, I, I was also kind of looking at how can I stay involved with basketball and also football, too. I've done some stuff with football, some blogs, and I train football players as well. So I had to really think about that. And I knew when I started working with players individually um, and thought about Twitter as an avenue and a resource for me as a, as a, um, a coach, um, you know, that was part of that decision. So that that really helped me. The social media helped me to transition. I miss the kids. I miss the, you know, the individual co team coaching right now. I, I do love working with individual players. So I'm blessed to be able to do that. But um, I do miss that team coaching. Um, but, you know, I find part of that, uh, that void I'm filling in school as I'm working with, you know, the students on a daily basis mm -hmm. and building those relationships. And then, yeah you know, also with teachers as well. Yeah, I think coach, I, I, you kind of answered my follow up to that of, of where have you filled the void um, to get your fix? You know, we call it a fix of like that adrenaline, but it seems that you've done a pretty good job with that. So I commend you on that. That's awesome. You know, I get a pretty good, uh, I, pre I get a pretty good fix on that adrenaline too of my kids when, uh, you know how it is, it gets a little chaotic from, from time to time. So, uh, <laughs> That in itself also uh, has filled a big part of that void too. Absolutely. So, Coach, you were talking about, um, you know, your transition into admin and how you're really working on mentoring young coaches. So, um, what do you think is some great advice for somebody that's just getting out of their four years of bachelor's and they're, they're very enthusiastic about teaching and coaching what are what's some advice that you would you would give to them in your mentoring of these young coaches yeah that's a great question well you know the first thing I, I try to tell coaches is there's so much information and knowledge out there in social media and great podcasts like the one that you're doing here and other ones I've been on and some of the things I'm trying to do and other coaches do as well um, so really try to get out there and learn as much as you can and be a willing participant when you're an assistant coach. You know, uh, for me, you know, there was a lot that I had to do before I became a head coach. And uh, that's a challenge in and itself, you know, making that transition from being an assistant coach to becoming a head coach. You know, a lot of times they, they hire coaches who are already in that uh, position. And so, yeah, you really have to be patient. So as you're learning, uh, and, and really willing and eager to take on a number of different roles as an assistant. Um, you have to be patient as well. And then, you know, the other thing I try to tell people is that there's a lot of information out there, as I mentioned in the beginning, but um, you really have to kind of streamline that information and find what works for you. Um, you know, for me, there's coaches um, who I looked up to, uh, like a Shaka Smart when he was at VCU and, took some elements of his system, uh, you know, but I'm not Chaka Smart and I'm not Brad Stevens. And, you know, coaches sometimes I think look at these coaches and you have to take things from a lot of different coaches, but you have to really make it your own and develop into the best version of yourself. And I think that's tough because there's a lot out there on social media and there's a lot going on and there's so many, um, you know, you hear these podcasts and these videos and you watch a lot of things out there and, 
I think, you know, it's easy to try to really focus on what that coach is doing, but you also have to think about what are some of the great qualities that you have as a coach and really try to, um, you know, like I said, be the best version of, of yourself and who you are. Um, but it is good to learn and take that information um, because there's a lot of it out there. Yeah, it's it's just tremendous piece of advice. Um, I fell victim to that when I first started coaching. You know, you see a set on TV and, and the other team can't stop it. And you're like, oh, I would love to run something like that. My team would be great at that. And then you got to sit back and digest it. These guys are Division One athletes or pro athletes that are running that stuff. And there's a reason why they're running that stuff. And I, I remember sitting in a, a coaching clinic with John Beeline when he was at West Virginia. And you're talking about all the information that was out there. And when he, he said, he goes, I want to leave you with this. Just remember the best – the best teachers and the best coaches are also the greatest thieves. And he's talking about using all of this different information out there to take it, to digest it, and make it uh, your own exactly like you were talking about, Coach. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, that's, you know, there is so much out there and you want to make it your own and you have to, like I said, really try to streamline that that information because it can be overwhelming. And I see some coaches on social media that give great advice and I hope I hope I'm one of them. But, you know, one of the things I do say to coaches, as I mentioned, is, you know, there's a lot. You could look at every set, like you said, and it might look great on paper. But does that fit your personality? Yeah. What are the core values of your program and what are you trying to accomplish as a program? And even you as a coach, how, how do you see yourself, you know, when you become a head coach? And, you know, there's obviously a lot to learn from coaches like John Beeline and other uh, coaches out there, but it's. I think you really have to be the best version of yourself and, and really try to, you know, there's a lot you need to throw out. You take in a lot of information, yeah. you ingest it, Amen. and you have to be able to let a lot of that go. I bet there's some rate like 90% of what you take in, I bet, is going back out, but that 10% is critical to your success. So take in as much as you can, but be able to weed out some of the stuff that you're not going to use. I mean, coach, everything you just said there has been resonating with, with what my COVID offseason has been like. I mean, I'm I I passion for basketball. If you asked all my kids, you know, they would say it, it, it's God, then my family, and then it's hoops in my household for me. And I think it drives them a little crazy, but I think you're right. Like when you have so much out there. My biggest takeaway during this time off, because I'll dive into film and I'll get lost for a couple hours trying to break down a game, is trying to make it as simple as possible. I want to, there's so much great stuff out there. I find myself, even after 20 years of coaching at the JV and varsity level, I want to, I want to run everything that there is, <laughs> but you just yeah. can't, right? You got to, you got to make it as simple as possible. I think the best coaches are the ones that communicate it the best. And I think I heard somewhere along the lines that kids, same when you're in the classroom, right? Kids know when you're not being real with them. They know when you're faking it and you don't know what you're talking about. So you really have to coach what you know and make sure you, you actually know what you're supposed to know and then streamline it, like you said, make it as simple as possible. Yeah, and there's there's some skill to that, you know, that there is, you know, I, I think of the, the beginning of the, the pandemic and you know, and I had some coaches clinics and there was the coaches clinic, uh, which I mm -hmm. also presented at. Yeah. And yep. there was just so many different things going on out there and, and so much information. And, you know, it got to a point where I had to say, you know, I, I I would love to see this, but is that what I need to do to get better? Is that something that's going to really help me to, you know, hone in and focus in on an area? And one thing that I do um, that is kind of related to this that I think is really helpful is I try to uh, kind of got from John Gordon kind of that one word. Uh, and I think that really helps you to focus in on what you're trying to accomplish for your year. And if you can kind of, you know, for me, my one word this year, of course, is expand, which is to try to expand what I'm doing and sharing with coaches. But I think you can kind of go back to that. And I think as a coach, you can go back to that. And what's that core value that you're trying to focus in on this year? And what's what's the most important thing? And you know, if it's a, a core value or, or you could even bring that to the coaching realm and say, you know, what what do I want to hone in on as a coach? So I can tell you right now, I'm trying to look at, you know, more, uh, you know, on the offensive side of the ball this year. I'm a very defensive minded coach. 
So my, my one word overall is expand, but my one word as a coach has really been like on the offense and specific to really motion offenses and ball screens and things like that. I've really tried to hone in on and learn more about because I, I tend to lean towards the defensive side of the ball as a coach. So I think that helped me get through the last few months because I was really trying to, I, I, you know, I feel like I have a pretty good philosophy on defense and I've learned a lot of different, you know, everything from pack line to pressure defenses. And I've tried to hone in on the offensive side. So I think hopefully coaches are, are doing that, too, because it can be overwhelming. Yeah, I mean, there's so many ways to win a basketball game, right? So offense has been more of my focus as well. And it's like, do you run read and react? Are you a ball screen motion team? Are you a regular motion team? And trying to just isolate, you know, what you're into is is so important. And I think you nailed it. John Gordon is a is a huge uh, name on this podcast. Yeah, Coach Clump and I are, are, are avid fans of John Gordon. And I think I, I love your word expand. My word this this year is grace, uh, which worked out well. I do it every New Year's. I pick a word on New Year's. Me too. And with and with COVID, it, it, grace has been the word that I think I, I say it every morning when I wake up and I go to bed saying the same word, just that no one no one's going to be perfect in this uh, time period of getting everything right. No one's going to get it all right. No one's going to get it all wrong. We just need to have a little bit of grace. So I love that, Coach. You know, Coach, um, I just picked up that you, you were talking about be having a very defensive uh, philosophy to your, your coaching style. I love asking this question. I think I ask it to all of our guests. Give me a couple of Coach DeMarco's non-negotiables when they step yeah. on the court for you. I love these. Yeah, I mean, if well, if we're focusing on defense, you know, I really transitioned into more of a pressure defensive uh, coach. So, uh, you know, and and I think what a big part of that is is effort. Um, so, you know, my my biggest non negotiable is that effort. You know, whether you miss a shot on offense or you make a turnover, uh, you have to get after it on the other end. You can't hang your head. People are going to make mistakes. You know, I would tell kids, you know, you're gonna. Things are going to go wrong during the game, but the one constant has to be your effort. And when you start to, you know, let let your effort down a little bit, that's when other things are going to start to really go wrong for us. So we kept track of hustle points. I had a hustle player. We had a hustle ball after every game. So effort was, you know, probably the most important thing for us. And, you know, I came into a program that hadn't made the tournament and I don't know, it was 12 or 15 years at the time. And you know, we were able to get there. I was very fortunate uh, in, in the first season back. But I think the biggest thing that changed the culture was like we were not going to accept anything less but 100 percent effort on the court. And, you know, I think a lot of that ties into the defensive side of the ball, whether it's, you know, sprinting to a closeout. Uh, it's making uh, multiple efforts on defense uh, in, in difficult rotations or, you know, with us being a pressure defensive team, it was you know, the way we sprinted back in our press, whether it was back tapping or sprinting back to kind of fix it and get matched up uh, accordingly in the press, um, you know, but effort was probably the number one non-negotiable, um, you know, and I think really the other thing that I try to look at, I talk about John Gordon, just to kind of bring it back there for a second, is really the positive, um, to, to really be positive, Um you know, we read the energy bus as a team my yes, next it. to last year there. And I think it, you know, really helped us to hone in and focus on that. So those are two non-negotiables, um, you know, all kind of overarching. Awesome. So uh, where I know there's a lot of debate on social media on this question. Where do you stand on the high hands closeout? Is it, is it something that is um, a are you a stickler for or well, how do you coach it? Or, or, or sorry to interrupt. Or are you a choppy feet guy or a hockey stop guy? Yeah. So, you know, the hockey stop is relatively new. So my last year of coaching uh, was 2016-17. And then the last few years, I've been more mentoring coaches. And, you know, I think you have to kind of do what works for you within your philosophy. So I think there's, and I, I'll, I'll give you my direct answer. I'm not going to dance around it, but I will say that I think the hockey stop has some, um, a place. I think, you know, I see some college coaches sharing clips of, uh, the flyby closeouts, flyby and recover, mm -hmm. and they would rather, you know, right. run people off the line. And then there's the choppy feet, high hands. So 
personally, I was always a choppy feet, high hands person, especially at high school. You know, we did gear closeouts to players specifically. Yeah. So uh, fundamentally, we taught the choppy feet, high hands, but we knew there were certain players um, that we were okay. You know, I don't want to say leaving our feet, but there was times where we might have to get in, get in their face. And, um, you know, it might be more of a hockey stop, but, you know, I didn't really know what a hockey stop was at that time because you didn't really hear that terminology. I feel like until the last couple of years. Um, So we would do that, you know, situation the same way in the pick and roll, we were kind of a hard hedge or blitz team, but we would, we would hug in situations. And what I mean by that is really get over the top and, if, if that player was, um, you know, a really good shooter that was either setting the screen, we would hug them and not leave them. If they were using the screen, we definitely were going to blitz them or hard hedge them. So um, in terms of closeouts, we were choppy feet, but I do see a place for all three closeouts. And I think situationally, um, I would be okay with the flyby closeout. But at the high school level, if all five players are doing that, I think we're giving teams a, a distinct advantage to get into the paint. Yeah. Um, where I think at the high school level, they're more dangerous. College level, I could see some uh, flexibility, although I know there's still a lot of teams that are teaching the choppy feet at that level too. Yeah, I think, Coach, it kind of probably goes, and I think you kind of already alluded to this, with A, your level, right? Your skill set of the players that you have – compared to the skill set of the players you're you're facing as your opponents like at the high school level and coach clump in my league we coach against each other actually in our league like we're not fly by closing out on probably 98 percent of the players in our league because they just don't shoot the ball well enough to do that um but as like you said if you go to college and their whole roster shoots 35 to 45% from three. That's a, that's a little bit different story, I would think. So like you said before, I think you just got to see what's out there, adapt to your personality and to your talent level and, and go from there. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. And I think that's, you know, I think that's the case. Um, you know, you look at your team, you look at the opponent's team. And I think, you know, that adaptability is huge. And as a younger coach, I think I was a little more, um, restrictive in what I did. You know, I had certain things that I really believed in. And I think as I grew as a coach, I recognized that there's probably not one right way to doing things. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I prefer, I started out as more of a zone coach and I've transitioned to more man to man, but you know, you see great zone teams and you see great, uh, man to man teams out there. So same thing with those closeouts is I don't, I don't think there's one right way to do it but there's a way that i probably prefer at least you know me personally and to your point if there's a high school team that is shooting that well you're going to adjust and adapt and that same thing at the college level you're going to adjust i I hear a lot of people talk about you know like rondo and allen closeouts and Kobe closeouts and kind of using players that we're going to close out differently and i think that shows a lot of adaptability and i like that you know, I try not to overcomplicate it for players, but I think situationally at the high school level, at least you have to make an adjustment when there's uh, something they can relate to. Yeah. 100%. Go ahead, Eric. Yeah. So, um, it was interesting how coach was talking about, you know, relating things because as a basketball mind, I I was at a coaching clinic and he was talking about, you know, rolling dice. And he said, you know, there's so many ways to make a seven when you're rolling dice, but it seems like the way people coach basketball, they they think that there's only one way to roll a seven. But like you said, with the closeouts, there's so many different ways. Um, in your time, what has kind of changed? Like, have you seen something big? Like, is it is the the running them off the line something that you've seen them change a lot? Uh, like you said, you transitioned from a, a zone coach to a man coach. Is that something that, that like? I'm talking about different ways to make a seven. Um, like what have you seen change in the game since you started coaching? Well, I think obviously the closeouts is a good one. Um, you know, I think the mid range game is a really big one. You know, I, I was as a player, I was really good outside as a three point shooter, but I had a really solid mid range game and I didn't mind taking one and two dribble pull ups and mm-hmm. coaches encouraged that and that was a great shot and uh, you know, now with analytics and, um, you know, looking at, 
um, you know, where players get the most points per possession and, and different shots you want to get. Um, I think a lot of coaches have kind of um, got away from uh, the mid-range. I think Vance Wahlberg was probably one of the earlier coaches, the three or key, or the key or three mentality. And, yeah. and that was something, uh, you know, I learned with uh, as a dribble drive coach. So those are kind of two, I think, big takeaways. And then, you know, I think, um, you know, in, in rebounding and stuff like that, you hear some different comments about, you know, boxing out and going to get the basketball and some different philosophies on, on that. And even, you know, after rebounds, how people jam up the basketball a little bit more now. And I know that there's been a big trend towards that as well. So I think the game evolves and, and obviously uh, on the offensive end, um, you know, I think there's a lot more uh, read and react than we saw, you know, probably when I first started coaching. Um, I feel like it was more, you know, motion or flex or continuity type offenses, a lot more uh, read and react and teaching players to play basketball. So, you know, I think it continues to evolve and we have to, you know, stay with that evolution of the game. But also, I always try not to lose touch with some of the core values and things that I feel like made me successful as a coach. So there's a balance to that evolution. And I don't think you should change everything. But I think there's some things that obviously are going to be, a, you know, an advantage for you as a coach. Yeah, you talked a little bit about um, dribble drive and Coach Wahlberg, and I experimented a little bit with that. And I just found at the younger levels, we had a lot of the guys standing around, and, and the play was a lot of domination by our better players. So, and I felt it wasn't really teaching them the game as much as it should have been. What are you? What are your thoughts? Yeah, you know, when I first decided to go to dribble drive, I, I, I'll tell you two things really uh, resonated with me with the offense. You know, one was we faced a lot of teams that use full court presses and especially in the girls game, um, when you're trying to run some of those like set plays, I think against pressure defenses, um, you know, especially with a team that was had struggled for a lot of years, it was an advantage to get into more of a like flow out mm -hmm. of transition into dribble drive. So it gave us that natural flow. Um, I think a lot of players did touch the basketball, but there's an element of patience to it because especially those corner players really have yeah. to uh, sit and, and, and be patient. But we kind of evolved dribble drive, I would say, over the, the last few years I was coaching and more of a hybrid dribble, dribble drive where we had the basics that we could flow into. But we always we tried to start with a lot of actions, whether it was a ball screen to get more players involved or. You know, we used our post um, who was in that kind of dunker spot, so to speak, uh, and we moved them to the top of the key and went five out situationally with cuts and basket cuts and backdoor cuts. So we tried to – I think we evolved over the time. So I think a lot could be said uh, about your point in terms of one or two players dominating, uh, but I think it's how you use it as a coach and what you encourage as a coach too. We wanted – a lot of players touch the ball. We didn't always want to start off the dribble. We wanted, you know, that pass across from slot to slot and, a, you know, and a cut, you know, through the free throw line to get another player involved or a couple of passes. So we tried to incorporate more actions to really um, emphasize the importance of, of many players touching the ball. And what did happen to us a little bit is we became almost too unselfish at times and as a defensive minded coach and then having a team that became very unselfish, there were times where we had to um, really, really overemphasize the need for players to have a scorer's mentality because mm -hmm. I feel like we, we got away from that and, you know, maybe one of the seasons I was coaching and we really had to hone in and focus on that part of it. Yeah, I mean, the dribble drive is so great. We've had, uh, well, he's at Alabama now, but coach, you've, I'm sure you've heard of Nate Oates, um, yeah. who's the coach at Alabama. He was at the University of Buffalo for a little stretch, and they are a heavy dribble drive team. So um, we've experimented with that a little bit at Akron, but having those athletes that can be those selfish one-on-one -on -one creation type players is definitely a necessity. He would be a good one to watch to maybe develop those players. One question, Coach, and you've mentioned, you know, Vance Wahlberg is maybe someone you've taken a, or stole some ideas from. Who else has been kind of like a hero or a mentor in your career 
that's kind of shaped your philosophy either outside of basketball in life or or on the court are there any major people that kind of come to mind would you reflect on that well I, you know i think outside of basketball you know my parents obviously have had a heavy influence on me as a person and you know the way i try to i really try to be appreciative about the opportunities i have and the people i work with and um, you know, I think my parents have really had a big influence on me. They both work very, very hard. And even in ad- adverse situations, I feel like they've always persevered uh, through any challenges. And, you know, my, my dad obviously um, coached me as a kid. And, you know, I just remember him taking me down to the park when I wanted to play baseball. And he pitched to me for hours and took me to the batting cages and put so many quarters in those machines. And right. They they just did anything they could um, to really help me to become successful. And my siblings, as as people, and and if we love sports, you know, they they did everything they could to support us, and um, you know, so loving and caring towards us. And and you know, I was very very lucky to have parents like that in in my life, and still am lucky this day to have them around. And they supported us in everything we did. And you know, and I, I think of my brother getting me into coaching and I always have looked up to him as a coach. Um, you know, that's that's really where I think I developed that love for coaching. And he was always so cool, calm, collected, and, and he built such strong relationships with players. And he had this mentality that, you know, you had great players on the team, but he would pick the kid that, uh, you know, would trip over his own feet running down the court in the youth league and Hmm. he'd make a point to make that kid get better and make sure that kid got a basket and you know from a player development standpoint I always took that with me as a coach and how can we develop our eighth ninth tenth eleventh twelfth players to make them uh, a valuable resource on the team and having him as an assistant was huge for me because he he had that mentality and I always you know, took that with me. And, and, you know, the other thing I would say as, as coaches, I've learned a lot outside of, you know, family related stuff. Um, you know, Shaka Smart has, has been a major influence, you know, me defensively. And then, um, you know, what he did at VCU, I think was miraculous. And at the same time, Brad, Brad Stevens, um, being a Celtics fan and just seeing, um, his demeanor and what he does as a coach and the success he's had at different levels and kind of where he came from uh, to be a head coach. So I, you know, I think those are coaches I look at, um, at at the higher levels that, you know, definitely have had an influence on me and w- what I've tried to do as a coach. Yeah, because if I can remember correctly, when Stevens got the job with the Celtics, a lot of the chatter around the sporting world was can his style – transition to the NBA game and it's just a, a, a great testament to him making personal connections with people and them knowing how much that that man cares for them and how far they will go for him yeah I mean I, I look at what he's done with the Celtics and the connections he's made with the players and you can see that they're like 100% by his side support him and I see that balance, you know, of him getting on players when he has to, but also, you know, that that love and care he has for, um, you know, he has for his players. And, you know, you saw that at, at the college level. And I think there were there were questions. I was excited when he got hired and my brother and I are, are season ticket holders for the Celtics. So we were very optimistic. Um, obviously, we like Doc Rivers. He got us, a, you know, brought a title to yeah. Boston and. We were optimistic when uh, Brad Stevens got hired and obviously now getting a new contract extension and knowing he's not going to go anywhere for a while with a really great core group of players. It's it's a lot of fun. We've 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 been season ticket holders since I think about 2000. And uh, I should I say we my brother has a season tickets, but he he, he takes me to every every nice. game. So I'm very, <laughs> That's I'm, to do it. I yeah. am very I'm very lucky. But um yeah, you know, we've been going since 2000. We've we've seen so many great games over that that time span and we we've been lucky to go to them. So coach with with your hashtag get better basketball, I know a topic a big topic of this pod has been the social media. So, um what what is like one of your favorite topics to talk about? Like you get all jacked up for. I know you're you said you're a defensive guy, but is there like like maybe say offensive transition, developing culture? What is something that you really love communicating with other coaches about? 
You know, the, the most recent topic, and we talk about things that have changed over the last few years and terminology and small-sided games, I, you know, I, I was using them as a coach, but I don't know that I was calling them SSGs all the time. Yeah. And I think about some of the things I was doing. So I'm pretty excited now to talk about that, you know, aspect of basketball and really try to share some of the things I did as a coach and some of the things I've learned from other coaches. And we've had uh, a couple of chats about small-sided games and um, how you can use SSGs in practice and really a games-based approach. And, you know, I do think there's a balance to, you know, the fundamentals of the game and teaching players the fundamentals and also letting them go out there and practice and, and you know, make mistakes in, in, in SSGs or a games-based approach and learn from that as well. So that's been a topic I've been very, very excited about. And you know, really other things that, you know, I, I love learning about. We talked about, um, you know, ball screen offense and, and I love learning about that or, um, you know, also offense as well. You know, one, one of the, one of the things that was, um, probably one of my favorite conversations I've had, uh, recently was about the mover blocker offense and Virginia's version of it, which is really more of a, a motion type offense. Um, but you know, the Virginia's version of that with Kramer Sodenberg, whose, uh, dad is an assistant coach at Virginia and he's a very successful player in a division three assistant coach. So, you know, that topic's got me excited, uh, you know, talking a little bit more about offense and learning from coaches about that as well. I love it. Yeah, coach, those, those topics are just amazing that you put out on those Wednesday nights. So hopefully people have an opportunity to go and continue to listen and improve their game. A follow up to that for me, maybe as you, as you say that about small sided games, I feel like I do that in practice a lot as well. And, you know, I'm 40 years young and have been doing this for a minute, but very <laughs> similar to you have, have never really ever called them small-sided games. What is your opinion on the terminology? I think for young coaches, sometimes it's hard when they come in because there's so different people, depending on who you watch, you know, call things or actions that I grew up learning one way, they call them something else. And you got to like navigate through this terminology. How important do you think terminology is for coaches? Obviously it's important for athletes, you know, to communicate with them what you want, but do you think there's maybe too much verbiage in the coaching world in terms of basketball? Yeah. And I think, you know, there's, there's a lot of coaches and I, and I mean this with all, all due respect because, you know, I think there's, excitement to learn the game and grow the game sure but you know i think of like small-sided games and i think of a, a you know maybe a young coach who's coming into the game and learning and i think there's maybe this notion that all you have to do is put your players out in a games-based approach you know you know at the high school level or the freshman level and you know and and that in itself is going to teach them the game and i think there is a big part of that and i think they're going to learn a lot from that um but i also think that there's other parts in to coaching and other things you need to hone in on and shooting and fundamentals and you know teaching them kind of the basic aspects so i think with these buzzwords like ssgs and games based approach and even these hockey closeouts and um, I think coaches have to really try to keep a balance and a level head about it. I, I love it. Coaches are sharing the game and they're sharing their approach. And, um, you know, but I think with that comes, um, you know, that works great for that coach and you have to find what works for you. So I definitely try to have a balance. And as I take in that information, I listen, every coach that shares an SSG, I try to learn from it. I share out stuff myself and people do on my, video cast but um you know to kind of get to your question is there too much of that terminology i yeah. think there is to a degree and i think the other part to that is when people hear these buzzwords it becomes if you're not doing that then you're not coaching the right way and i, I really to keep I it positive i really encourage coaches to try to um you know keep a balance and and, and take what you learn and, and use it but um, you know, it doesn't mean someone else isn't a great coach if they're not coaching the same way as you. I think there's a lot of right ways to get to the uh, same point. Yeah. And, you know, just to, to kind of put an end cap on that topic, maybe is just 
And I agree with you 100% is that as we were watching or I was watching some of these coaching clinics, it definitely, I had this sense of like, man, I'm not coaching my kids well enough. I'm not using <laughs> small sided games approach, but in actuality, I, I was kind of doing that. And then as like we talked about already, I just reflected back and I said, how can I use a small sided game with, for example, my, my 11 year old son, he's out there with like six of his buddies trying to play three on three. And they, they don't even know how to like come to a jump stop or do a stride stop. And they can't even execute that yet. I'm asking them to figure it out. And so the balance there was just really, really tough. And I think you're right when when you're coaching, you got to understand who your players are. If kids are going to go out and spend hours of the offseason honing their individual skills, then, yeah, you should probably play some more situational game style stuff in your practice. But my school, my kids don't get a lot of extra hours in outside because they're three sport athletes. So when they come in, we really got to hone hone in on those basic skills. So definitely a balance. And I appreciate your comment on Coaches got to kind of figure out what works for them and their team and and go with that for sure. Yeah, I remember one of the best um, presentations we saw over the COVID break. I know, Justin, you and I had a conversation on it was the gentleman um, <laughs> talking about dominoes and he was yeah, talking Alex. about small sided games, you know. Yeah. So you're, you're watching it and you're like, okay, what kind of terminology? But it really like coaches, Coach DeMarco saying, it's just how you got to make that connection. How can your players make the connection to know what you're talking about? It's probably the most important thing. For sure. Yeah, and I think too, when you think about SSGs, just one other point on it is what are the ones you need to use to make your team better? You know, we, you know, we came up with one um, I called the pressure gauntlet, which was for players specifically to attack pressure defenses. We obviously did that ourselves, but I had a young team with three freshmen starting, and you know, when the press came, they they would get a little bit nervous, and that was expected. So. We said we need to really come up with something. They know the fundamental skills, but we need to put them in that situation in practice. So, you know, you can't just run uh, an SSG or a drill or anything in practice. There really has to be a purpose. And you have to think, you know, there's a lot of great ones out there. But why does your team need? I always think, why does my team need to use this? How is it going to make them better? You know, and how can I, um, you know, adapt this to fit what we need to do with our team? So I think. Those are some good questions to ask yourself as as you learn from other coaches. Yeah, and like when you try to self-assess yourself as a coach, one thing that I'm I'm always like really hard on myself for, especially in practice, is all right, so you got a small side of game running and you're like, okay, coach, just let them play, let them play. And then you see a teachable moment happen and then you stop them. And I'm like, I shouldn't have stopped them. I should just let them play. I should just let them play. <laughs> um, you find yourself in that situation? Yeah, I mean, I and I think that, I think there's a balance to that as well. I think there's, you know, they need to make mistakes and, and, and they're going to learn from them. But I also think, you know, there's something that can be said about stopping. And I think there's there's a balance like anything else. And we got pretty good at coaching on the fly. I was fortunate to have two assistants with me all the time. So we would do some of those small sided games, whether it was, you know, four on four with another group of four waiting on the sideline. You know, we got really good at, um, a coach pulling the four when they came off the court and kind of coaching them on the fly. And I think if you're going to mm-hmm. use SSGs, um, there's got to be some element of coaching on the fly. But, you know, it's like anything else. There's times you got to hit that whistle and stop practice and players got to stop and learn. And, and um, you know, you're probably doing them a disservice if you don't stop practice. But yeah. there is a balance where coaches hit the whistle every three seconds and you're doing them <laughs> a disservice again. Right. If, if you hit it too much. So there's a balance. Well, coach, thank you for so much for joining us. We are up against it here. Um, I just personally have one more question for you. Um, who wins the AFC East this year? <laughs> AFC East. I mean, I'm feeling good about the Patriots getting Cam Newton. Uh, you know, that's not to that take away from the other quarterbacks in the, uh, you know, that are in the uh, quarterback hunt there. But um, it's nice to have uh, uh, someone who's been a, a you know a player of the year at one point or another. Mm-hmm. So I have to you know lean towards the Patriots as as always. But I do feel like Buffalo has made some great strides. So um, they obviously make me a little nervous. I'm sure you guys are happy to hear that as uh, yes. uh, Buffalo Buffalo fans. 
Yes, it's been a long, long time coming. Yeah, well, you know what? If 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 now is uh, the Bills' time, then you know they certainly deserve it. I, I, I was actually, be honest with you, when the Patriots were not great back in the day, and Jim Kelly and Thurman Thomas, and uh, you know the the Bills had that great great teams where they went to the Super Bowl. I think it was three years in a row, and. Man, I rooted for them so hard every single year, and mm-hmm. I'm sure as kids growing up, that was probably heartbreaking for you guys. But oh. I, I love those Bills teams, uh, you know, back back in the day. Yeah, well, the uh, that first Super Bowl, the uh, wide right was on my birthday, I believe. Oh. Ninety-one. It was my eleventh birthday, and I left the room crying. It was <laughs> yeah. so heartbreaking. It was so heartbreaking. But you know what, Coach? I'm in the same boat because I'm a huge Michigan fan. So I've had like this love-hate relationship with Tom Brady for about twenty years. <laughs> it's been it's been tough. <laughs> well, now he's in Tampa, so uh, it's, it feels kind of weird. It's like you know, yeah. I, I grew up with Brady, and now he's gone, and he's on another team. So. It just it's going to be a weird a weird year for sure, but hopefully, uh, hey, I'll just be excited to watch some football and you know having sports. Amen to that. Great. Yeah, amen to that. Well, coach, thanks so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you guys for for having me. Um, I love what you're doing here, and I you know be able to talk uh, uh, you know about hoops and sports in general, but kind of go beyond that spectrum. It was it was refreshing. It was really cool. Yes, coach. I appreciate you. Keep doing your thing, man. You're you're impacting so many coaches out there. Keep it up. Thank you, guys. All right. Thanks, Coach. Thank you for listening to the Beyond the Ball podcast with Coach Eric Klump and Coach Justin Gersten. 